the book of Jonah chapter 1. Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. I know for many of us when we hear the word Jonah, what do you think about? The fish and sleeping. <laughs> I know many of you wish you were asleep right now. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. The fish and sleep. Both of those things are in the book. But actually the book is a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. So Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. Can you just give that to me in the NKJV please? Thank you. Jonah 1 1. Thank you. Now the word of the Lord came to, the, to Jonah the son of Amittai saying Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found him a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. <laughs> so the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and a lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea on the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Let me just read the whole chapter. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may become for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, 
and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Last verse. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I know we've read this story many times in the past. We've studied in the Sunday school. And yes, indeed, Jonah is popular, notorious for the fish and for sleeping. But may I submit to you this morning that God has a lot more to say to all of us through this story than sleeping and fish. In fact, the only reason this book is in the Bible, the only reason this book is in the Bible is because there is a Jonah in every one of us. Jonah is here this morning. He's standing here and he's sitting in the pews. That's the reason for which God included this passage in the canon of Holy Scriptures. Now, just so we establish the point we're trying to make, today is Pentecost Sunday, by the way. Today is 50 days since Resurrection Sunday. And we know from scriptures that the Holy Spirit came to dwell in the earth 50 days after resurrection. Now, I'm saying that as I share some context from this book so we have clarity and understanding. The United States has a symbol, the eagle. When you see the eagle, is the logo, is the insignia, is a symbol that represents the United States. The bear, B-E-A-R, the bear, represents the Soviet Union, Russia, big bear. Oh, they're still growling. Amen? Just as the eagle represents or symbolizes the United States, and the bear, Russia, even so, the dove, D-O-V-E, the dove, symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with that? You see that already. We see that in the book of Matthew. The Bible says when Jesus was being baptized at River Jordan, the heavens opened up and a dove descended upon him. Amen? And the voice of God was heard, or the Father was heard, where he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, I said all of that to say to you, Jonah's name means dove. Jonah. His name means the dove. And it is interesting that this man, whose name means the dove, or symbolizes the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, we are also told that his father's name is Amitai, which means the truth. Are you hearing me this morning? So it is not surprising once you understand that background as to what God is intending to do through this book. This book of 48 verses, 48 verses only, this book is the most Christian book 
in the entire Old Testament. The most Christian book in the entire Old Testament. It is a book that is full of the grace of God and the heart of God. Amen? Amen. No, I've given some background. Now let's dive into the story. So, Jonah chapter 1, in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Remember, we are still talking about the spirit of grace. So this spirit of grace came to Jonah, who is symbolic as a prophet of the Holy Spirit. The spirit came to him and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up, uh, up to me. Whoa. Now, the Bible describes Nineveh as a great city. What makes it great? Let's talk about it for a minute. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And it was built in such a way that it had towers everywhere. I'm talking about towers of about 200 feet high all over the city. And has a wall as its circumference that was 100 feet high. That's the height of the wall. And it was so wide. This wall was so wide, we are told from ancient history that three to four chariots of horses can ride on the top of it. That's just to give you an idea how tall and wide these walls are. Okay? So it was a great city. But it was also an awful city. It was an awesome city, but also an awful city. Let me give you, let me help take you in there so you can understand how awful this place was for which God was giving this warning about its pending doom. We are told through history that Nineveh was the most cruel city in ancient history. So cruel, let's define that. So cruel that they made furniture with human skin. Well, I, that's good. I want to get your attention so you understand their cruelty. Many of us are wearing Salvatore Ferragamo. Cow leather, alligator leather, crocodile leather. These Ninevites did not use cow leather. They did not use crocodile leather. They used human skin for their furniture. It, it didn't stop there. They built pyramids with human skulls. Now, let's just let's read the scripture. Give me Nahum chapter 3. Don't turn there because many of us will not find it. Nahum <laughs> chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Give it to me in a message translation. <laughs> Nahum. <laughs> Thank you. Chapter 3. These prophecies regarding Nineveh, you're going to see in a minute. Doom to Mother City. Full of lies, bursting with loot 
addicted to violence, horns blaring, wheels cluttering, horses rearing, chariots lurching, horsemen galloping, brandishing swords and spears, dead bodies rotting in the street. So you see, I didn't make it up. Corpses stagged like cordwood. Bodies in every gutter and alley clogging every intersection. You are reading from scriptures. See, you see, I didn't make it up. That's why I'm giving you the scriptures. And horse. Horse without end. Horse city. Fatally seductive. You are the witch of seduction. Luring nations to their ruin with your evil spells. Give me verse 5 just so they know who they're talking about. I'm your enemy. Whore. Where? Say that again. Good. I just want to make sure you guys understand that I was not making up what I told you earlier. And this is not the only scripture that refers to Nineveh. <laughs> Ezekiel talks about them. Jose talks about them. Amen. But I just gave you that one as a sample so you understand the reason for which God told Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh. And cried against it because of their wickedness. Now, I've described to you Nineveh. The next thing I need to show you about this grace is the fact that why did God not just destroy them outright? You see, when we read the scriptures, we need to connect the dot. I just told you what these Ninevites were about. History records that to this day, they are the most cruel of all places. And yet, God did not destroy them outright. Rather, he sent his prophet to go and warn them. Why? Why the warning? Because God is not designing that any should perish. It's never his intention to destroy anybody. His intention from eternally past to eternal future is to rescue, to save, to deliver, and to set free. That's always his first option. Unbelievable. Because I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what's happening in your life. But you need to know that God is not afraid to destroy you. No matter where you have been. No matter where you are going. You need to understand that God is on a search and rescue mission. And he will use any means to bring that to pass. Including waking up a sleeping Jonah. Oh, no wonder. Lamentations, Jeremiah told us about how through the, the mercies of God we are not destroyed. And how his faithfulness is new every day. And then he says, great is your faithfulness. If God did not instantly destroy Nineveh, but gave him a chance to repent, how much more will God do for you and I this morning? I am talking about the spirit of grace. Ninevites did not ask God to send them a messenger. Ninevites did not invite God and say, come and help us. No, it was out of God's mercy. Out of the fullness of his grace, 
He said, I have a people down in Nineveh. They are about to destroy themselves. But before they do so, Jonah, arise and go give them a message of their redemption. Amen? Second thing I want us to say about this spirit of grace. Assyria, in which Nineveh was the capital, was not a part of Israel. So the point I want to make to you is, I don't want us to miss the importance of the foreign missionary enterprise in the heart of God. Here is Israel, blessed with prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Obadiah, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And they will hear these prophets, they will not respond to the prophets, they will not live right, and yet God says, I have a people who is self-destroying because they don't know any better. Therefore, because my heart is not just for Israel, my heart is for the nations at large, Arise, Jonah, from your sleep and go reach them for me. As a believer, if we are going to be like the image and the likeness of God, we cannot, we should not, we will not abandon our missionary enterprise. This is the call of the church. In Exodus 19, at the first Pentecost, when God gave Israel the law, he said to them, if you keep my covenant, then you'll be a special treasure of people unto me. He didn't end there. He said, for all the earth is mine. In other words, I'm calling you out so that you can become a partner with me to reach the entire earth. And right here in Jonah, in this book of Jonah, we are seeing the first thing God said to Jonah, Arise! Go to Nineveh and let them know that I'm seeing and hearing of their wickedness. If judgment was on God's heart, he won't have to call Jonah. His first priority is to rescue. His first priority is to save his first priority is to redeem. Hallelujah. This is the thing about the scandalous love of God that I don't comprehend. Because as a human being, when I read what Nineveh does, I don't have God's compassion for them. But that's why I'm not God. That's why Paul said to us in Ephesians chapter 3 that we, together with the saints, should comprehend the length and the breadth and the width and the height of the love of God that surpasses knowledge is ununderstandable in the natural, in the physical. I don't understand it, but the love of God compels man. I don't know what you've been hearing all week, but I want to tell you this morning, God loves you. Amen. It does not matter what's been happening with you. I want you to know God loves you with passion. I want you to know that God loves you unfailingly. I want you to know there's nothing you can do that will diminish the love of God for you. He has loved you with an everlasting love from before the time until the end of the ages. He loves you. 
no matter how far down you fall, I'm here to tell you this morning, God loves you and his hand is long enough to reach down, to retrieve you in the name of Jesus. I don't know what you've been listening to, but I want you to know the love of God, the love of God trumps everything else. God loves you and because he loves you, we can now respond and reciprocate and love him back. It's a plans that I have for you are plans of peace yes, yes. and not of evil yes. to bring you to an expected end. So the grace of God compelled God to reach out to a people that were most cruel in their time. Let's go on in the story. So we see that God's committed to save rather than, than to destroy. And that this warning was only to give them room so that they can repent and find solace in God. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. We are told that, but Jonah arose to flee from Tashish, to flee to Tashish from the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you guys. When I read that in scripture, I find it to be very interesting. But I want that God can speak to a man and you know it's God speaking. Is it because for you and I we have to we have to receive from God by faith? So there's 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 room there to say, you know what, maybe it's not God that spoke. But in Jonah's case, there was no doubt as to who is speaking. Arise, Jonah, and go to Nineveh. And the Bible said the man arose and fled. He just did not flee. You need to understand what happened. Nineveh was to the northeast. It was northeastern from Israel. This guy went and bought a ticket and went to the northwest. Exact, total, complete opposite. Oh, hallelujah. Can you imagine? How far can you and I get away from God's presence? This prophet, if anybody should know, he ought to know. Because you should have read what David said in Psalms 139. If I made my bed in heaven, you are there. If I go down to hell, there you are. Wherever I go, your hand is able to reach me. And put. So you ought to know that there's no way. You can't travel far enough from away the presence of God. He still tried it. He went on board a ship. Now let me just, let me slow down there and let, let that speak to us. Because when we read what happened to Jonah, we're saying, ridiculous. How can a prophet get from before God and run away? I said to you at the beginning, the reason God put this in the book is because there's a Jonah here. Jonah just didn't live back then. He's alive today. Jonah is speaking to you now. Jonah is sitting on the pews now. You say, why? Why are you saying that? I'm saying that because every time you or me do not agree with God, you've just gone away from his presence. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me put that back in. Let me put that back in. Let me put that back in. The question is, let me put it this way. 
Do we have the heart of God? Because God's heart to Jonah was, go reach my people for me. I created them in my own image and likeness. I love them in spite of them. I love them not because of what they're doing, but because I made them. Jonah did not have the heart of God. And I'm saying to us this morning, do we have the heart of God? Okay, now you see, you're getting quiet on me. Number one, do you love what God loves? I'm defining having the heart of God. Number two, do you hate what God hates? Because on that number one, many of you say, I love what God loves. That's good. Do you hate what he hates? Number three, do you think of yourself the way God thinks of you? Number four, do you think of your neighbors the way God thinks of your neighbors, the Ninevites? Or do you condemn them and label them and put them in your prison because you became God? Number five, are you open to receiving the undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor of God? Are you open for God to bless you through his grace? Lastly, but not the least, I don't want to wear you out. Not only am I open to receive God's grace, now, this is where the rubber meets the road, are you willing to give grace to other people? Because if you said no to any of those six things, you are like Jonah. You are running from the presence of God. Hello? <laughs> Especially that number six. Number five, we want grace. God bless me. God, just help me. God, assist me. No problem. But when it comes to the next person that needs grace, that needs favor, that needs to be blessed, in spite of what they have done, we are not so quick to give grace. And if we are not quick to give grace, we are not like God. Because the spirit of grace does not discriminate. That spirit of grace gives grace liberally and freely to all mankind. Does that make sense? So before you dog Jonah out and ask why he ran from God, you ought to ask yourself, why are you running? Why are you running from God? Why are you running from his presence? Why are you not embracing the things that God embraced? Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just move on here. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. So now, let's look at the reason for which Jonah may have done what he did. I told you that Nineveh was a very wicked city. And I showed it to you from scriptures. So now, let's just wonder, why would a prophet do what he did? Did he run away because, you know what? Going to Nineveh was really not a sweet thing. It's not, it's, it's not an easy thing. These cruel people, who knows what's going to happen to him? 
To put it in relative terms, how would you like to be a Jewish prophet during World War II in the forest and God sends you to Nazi Germany to go preach to Hitler? You, you get the message? That would not be an assignment anybody would be excited about fulfilling. But, thank God for the Holy Scriptures. Even though that could have been a good reason for Jonah to disobey. But the Bible actually tells us exactly why he did what he did. Go to Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2, it says, He yelled at God. God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran up to Tashish. I knew you were what? Sheer grace and mercy. Not easily angered. Rich in love and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. Hallelujah! Oh, glory to God. Jonah said, you know what? I knew you were selling, sending me on a failed mission. I knew I would get there, I would preach to those people, and indeed, because I know how rich you are in your mercy, how rich you are in your grace, you will forgive them. Why bother? I know you. I know you. And I don't know who's hearing this morning. I'm telling you, listen, 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 listen. If you don't know anything else, know the love of God. If you don't know anything else, receive, understand, embrace the grace of God. Even the prophet. He said, Papa, I know you. You are sending me to these people. I know what you will do. Once the people repent, it's over. <laughs> and there are some of us in the church now. We cannot stand sinners. We condemn them. We package guilt on them. We say because of our own tradition, our own rules, they cannot make heaven. Who are you? Did you create heaven? If you didn't create heaven, who, what, what audacity do you have to admit or disadmit people into heaven? Since when did God give you the key to heaven? We don't understand it. That's why Paul said it in the New Testament that we should pray to understand the love of God that surpasses knowledge. You are trying to understand the things of the Spirit with your finite little bitty mind. And when you do that, you stand in the way of God. God is rich in mercy. Notice, there's no way in scripture that talks about how God is rich in judgment. But he's rich in what? Mercy. And so Judah said, you know what, that's why I didn't go. I just ran away. I find it easier for me to just run than to go on this assignment because I know you. I know you. You forgive them. And as far as I'm concerned, they all deserve to go to hell. <laughs> Jonah just spoke for all of you guys. 
You know how you see your friends, your, your friend smoking dope, he's fornicating, he's, he's robbing the bank, he's doing all these crazy things. I said, man, this guy is a candidate for hell. Candidate. They should give him the, the, the first floor in hell. He should. So Jonah is saying he did not go because he recognized that God will forgive those people. Now, moving forward in the story, very quickly, we know what happened. God sent out a storm to intercept the sheep. And that, that point should really help all of us. It, it doesn't matter. You can't run away from God. You can't. You can try, but you cannot hide. He will find you out. This wind that is sent to the ship is still available. <laughs> There's no end to it. He will send it. An instruction, and he's wind himself. You can read it in the Song of Solomon. God himself is wind. So here he is sleeping on the ship. And the storm hit. And the marinas, they did everything they know to do. And they finally said, well, let's call on our gods. So they are not atheists. They are just heathens. That's the difference. Atheists don't believe in anything but themselves. Heathens believe in something other than God. So they were calling on their gods. And they saw it was an exercise in, exercise in futility. Finally, they remember they had a sleeping prophet. <laughs> they went and got the guy said, God, are you kidding me? In this storm, you are asleep? Who are you? Where are you from? Where are you going? What do you do for a living? Call on your God. And of course, and this is where this grace message gets very wonderful. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 10, we are told, let me just read it. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Grace works best for you when you acknowledge that you need it. Not only did they find him out, he was already found out. But notice, the prophet gave full disclosure. Many of us are trying to hide our sins and when we try to hide it, the sin multiplies. That's the problem. Sin is not a problem for God. He's not only willing and ready to forgive it, ready to move on with it, but when you're hiding it, and that's what I've been saying to you guys that's listening to grace, I will know that grace is working. When you can come up here and say, you know what? I used to be X, Y, Z, but God has delivered me. Then I know grace is working. That's how I'm going to know that grace is really working in your life. The ability, the courage to stand up and say, you know what? I'm a lying prophet. I was running from God. I'm the reason from this problem. But thank God for his deliverance. Then grace is at work. Amen. Grace is at work. 
Whereas long as I was trying to hide, trying to look good, trying to cover it up, trying to give excuses for it, grace is not at work. Your fig leaves is at work. You're still trying to cover yourself with fig leaves, not knowing that fig leaves will dry up and you'll still be exposed. It's just a matter of time. Your sin, the Bible says, will find you out. So before it finds it out, you better own up to it. So Jonah acknowledged full disclosure. I'm not only the problem, I'm not only the problem of this situation, let me tell you why. I ran away from God. The reason this has happened to us on this ship is because of my disobedience. You owned it. When was the last time you owned your problem with your wife or your husband? When you're having an argument. Or shall I say, a very aggressive conversation. <laughs> when you're having intense fellowship with your spouse. Do you ever say, you know what, honey? I'm the reason for which we can't pay our bills. I'm the reason for which our business is not prospering. Are you willing to own it? Because until you own it, God can't do anything for you. It is in your weakness that his grace is perfected, not in your strength. Amen. Not in your strength. We have to be able to come clean. This guy's life was on, it, on the line. He said, you know what? I am the problem. Second thing you need to know, whatever sin we are in does not only affect us, it impacts others. Why is it so quiet in this place this morning? I said, whatever sin we are partaking of does not only affect us, but impacts people around us. Your spouses, your children, your co-workers, your friends, everybody's impacted. Ask Jonah and the marinas. The marinas didn't do anything other than the fact they didn't know God. Their only sin was that they admitted Jonah into their boat. And the boat was rocking. I remember years ago, you may remember this, we had to discipline an employee in the ministry in Nigeria. And he came back to me later and said, Pastor, okay, I understand what I did. Okay, it's wrong. Okay, I can understand the, the discipline you gave me, but do you know that this discipline affected my household? I said, really? You're asking me if I know if it affected Yeah, that, that's the intention. Of course, that's intention. Were you there when Adam sinned? No. Talk to me. No. Oh, I see. But when he sinned, he sinned, affected all, all mankind. It impacted all of us. So you think you're going to go and go to a brothel and, and sin and do something crazy and then, and then just come back and wipe your hands and say, oh, no. <laughs> it's just me. No, it affects all the people around you. And that's what's happening here. So you need to know. You need to keep that in mind. Ask David about it. But this is the thing about the grace of God, folks. God, through grace, made a two-for-one deal. <laughs> Hallelujah. He was after the Ninevites. But here are the mariners who did not know anything about Nineveh. And through the circumstance and the play of events, they found themselves 
are under the grace of God. Because once Jonah was found out, when you read the passage, and Jonah said, throw me overboard, the Bible said, no, they didn't do that at first. Something that happened to their heart. Even though they wanted to be saved, they did not see Jonah as a victim. They did not see him as a scapegoat. Their first option was to try to see what they could do to still save themselves and save Jonah. Hey, hallelujah. Grace is at work. But when that failed, before they even threw Jonah out, please give me Jonah chapter 1, verse 14. Jonah 1, 14. Thank you. Then they prayed to God, Oh God, don't let us drown because of this man's life. And don't blame us for his death. You are God. Do what you think is best. These heathens turned from worshipping God's little G-O-D to worshipping God, G, capital G-O-D. What happened to them? 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3 says, No man can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Ghost. When did they say the sinner's prayer? When were they water baptized? Now, those things are not bad and they are not wrong. I'm just saying to us, we cannot limit ourselves to the things we've learned in our head. Something happened between the interaction with Jonah. They recognized, yes, there's a God. And immediately they called on that God and said, God, we are about to throw this man overboard. We are doing so because we have no other option. God, don't lay this blame on us. Do what you think is best. So God is going up from Nineveh and he goes to the marinas. Born again. That's what grace does. I'm saying to us, we are the crosshair of grace this morning. Grace is coming this way, it's coming that way. You are the intersection of it. Grace intercepts you and brings a favor you are not dreaming about. Amen? Amen. I've got to close. I've got to close. Verse 17. Last verse in chapter 1. Then, God assigned a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the fish's belly three days and night. Unbelievable. I don't have time to go into all of it. But you know, Jesus referred to this twice in the gospel. That the only sign he would give to the Jews was the sign of Jonah. Thereby validating this story, this is not just a fiction, it happened. This is the amazing thing. Jonah did not ask God to be rescued. Grace, I'm telling you, is at work. This whole book is the only, I said at the beginning, Christian book of the entire Old Testament. Full of grace. This man has been thrown into the water. He did not ask God. But the moment they threw him in the water, 
God gave an assignment to a fish. Fish, come forth. Go to the water and you find my prophet. Open your mouth and swallow him. Hallelujah. God turned the fish into a submarine. Hallelujah. To bring deliverance and rescue to one who was not even asking for it. Did not the Bible say the wages of sin is death? And do we not see clearly that Jonah has sinned in disobeying God? Do we not read in the Bible, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. This man who was sinning was on his way to his gravely death and because the wages of sin is death and because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, God on his own volition without being prompted, without being asked, immediately fulfilled his own word by sending a submarine, if you will, to go and rescue this man. If God did that for Jonah, disobedient, sleeping prophet, if God rescued him without his permission, hallelujah, this man did not ask God's permission and yet God sent a rescue mission for him. Are you not telling me, are you telling me this morning that God does not have a rescue team searching out for you? I don't know where you're lost. I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know what weed is tied around your neck. I don't know what death is coming upon your name, but I'm here to tell you that same rescue mission that God sent to deliver Jonah is here, is available and he will rescue you in the name of Jesus. Fish swallowed him. For three days and three nights. If you know anything about is this zoology? You know that the moment that thing was swallowed, digestive juices should be coming from the fish to begin to digest Jonah. Not this Jonah. I said, not this Jonah. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said, not this Jonah. No, 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 no. Fish, all your natural activities suspended. For three days and three nights. While Jesus was in the grave, suspended. Because something is about to happen. Because God is working something. God is doing something. God is about to deliver you. God is on a rescue mission. Glory be to God. And lo and behold, to just show you how grace works through faith and through the instrumentality of praying as I wrap it up. Because now in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, give me Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Jonah began to pray. He began to pray. Notice the prayer was not before his deliverance. He had been rescued before he began to pray. Don't miss that. But the praying is essential to manifest the deliverance that had taken place. You've got to understand how these things work. 
Because now we are told, then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish, not before he was swallowed. Because nothing, you will not be able to say, it is my prayer that delivered me. God wants to get all the honor and all the glory. However, after you are delivered, you have a part to play. Because here, then, Jonah began, prayed to his God from the bed. Look at what then. The word then qualifies what happened previously. Then. Then. Let's see what it says. Verse 2. Verse 2. He prayed. In trouble. Yes, we know you are in trouble. Deep trouble. <laughs> I pray to God. He answered me. Wait, 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 wait. He answered you past tense? Answered past tense. But Jonah, you are sitting in the fish belly. Faith is talking now. Faith is now talking with grace. Faith is now having a romance with grace. I pray to God, he answered pastors, me. From the belly of the grave, I cried, help! You heard my cry, pastors. Verse 3. You threw me into the ocean's depths, into a watery grave, with ocean waves, ocean breakers crashing over me. Go on, go on, go on. I said, have been thrown away, thrown out, out of your sight. I will never again lay eyes on your holy temple. Gone. Ocean gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss grabbed me and held tight. My head was all stangled in seaweed. At the bottom of the sea, where the mountains take root, I was as far down as a body can go. And the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. Yet, yes. I say yet. Oh my God! I say yet. No, 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 no! You didn't hear me. I say yet. Oh. If you think I'm going down. If you think I'm perishing, if you think I'm destroyed, if you think I will not make it, yeah! Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I don't care what you read in New York Times. I don't care what you read in Washington Post. I don't care what CNN is saying. I don't care what Fox News is saying. I'm here to tell you there's a God in heaven and he loves you and he loves you and he loves you and he loves you hallelujah when I thought the door was slammed behind me forever yet you pulled me up from that grave alive oh God my God I said there's resurrection There's resurrection life for you There's resurrection life for you There's redemption for you 
There's deliverance for you. There's salvation for you. There is progress for you. There are blessings for you. There are favors for you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Grace. Walking with faith. Through the instrument of praying. To manifest the deliverance of God in your life. It's not over. Until it's over. I say it's not over. No, 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 it's not. Next verse. When my life was slipping away, I remembered God. Not that God remembered me. I remembered him because he never forgot me. And my prayer got through to you. Made it all the way to your holy temple. Those who worship hollow gods, God frauds, walk away from their only true love. This is the one I want to close on. That's what we're here today. For I'm worshiping you, God. Calling out in what? No, y'all didn't hear me. Calling out in what? Calling out in what? Calling out in what? Amen. This is how it works. Grace, you have nothing to do with it. Faith, God has given it to you. You now use the faith he's given you through the instrumentality of prayer. You pray according to what you know God has done. A past tense prayer because God was, he has released his grace to bring your deliverance. And while you are doing that, you mix that praying with some thanksgiving. You begin to thank God in a shout and thank him in praises and thank him. Hallelujah. Hey. Hey. about you but i want to thank god this afternoon i want to thank him for my life i want to thank him for my wife i want to thank him for my children i want to thank him for his blessing i want to thank him 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 hallelujah Because you recognize the devil don't have your agenda. You give thanks. Thanks given. You give it in advance. Knowing that God who began it has finished it. He began it. He completed it. He began it. He perfected it. He's the author and finisher. First and the last. Author and finisher of your faith. It's grace makes provision. It's faith makes appropriation. And our thanksgiving through prayer makes manifestation. Provision, appropriation, manifestation. It's grace makes provision. The faith makes appropriation. And my prayer in thanksgiving gives the manifestation. Go! and receive your manifestation this afternoon Amen. in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.